Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at legalshield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at, at First, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Carol G. Juan Gabriel. Christina Aguilera. What do these three have in common? You mean apart from impeccable style, chart-topping canciones, and drama? Facts, yes, all of the above are correct. But most importantly, they're some of the biggest Latin icons in the world. And they're just a few of the game-changing Latin stars we're covering in Becoming an Icon Season 2. Listen to Becoming an Icon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, we're now on from one to four. So check us out on the podcast. If you cannot listen to these three hours live, go to KFIAM640.com or the iHeartRadio app. 15 minutes away from another keyword. You jump in there with that keyword and you could win $1,000 in the KFI cash refill contest. We'll talk a bit about the Tyree Nichols police beating in Memphis. A couple of other things have come up today. Plus, of course, it was Friday night. They dropped the video of the beating by five police officers, and now a sixth has been suspended. We'll get to that. Right now, our guest is going to be Mark Kerkorian, executive director of the Center for Immigration Studies, because a few weeks ago, after mayors like New York City's Eric Adams and some officials in El Paso, Texas, started really squawking about the uh, crush of migrants that their cities and towns are taking on, Biden did a little drive-by appearance in El Paso, Texas, on his way to Mexico. And then they announced uh, some changes to border policy. This was to make everybody think, we're dealing with the problem. Don't worry. It's going gonna, it's gonna to get better. There won't be as many people rushing into the U.S. But, you know, to get what's really going on, that's why we bring on Mark. Mark, how are you? I'm doing fine. You know, we need you to uh, decode all these... Uh, false stories and press releases and all the spin and nonsense here. Uh, what yeah. to, to Explain to us, what does the Biden administration claim they're doing and what is really going on? The, uh, the only thing missing is a big mission accomplished poster, you know, behind the president for the border, because basically they're saying they fixed it. And what they did was they said that 
four of the nationalities that are sending a lot of people across the border that are not now being bounced back under Title 42 will be. That's people from Cuba, Nicaragua, Venezuela, and Haiti. So they're now, if they cross illegally, they're going to be sent back, although only 30000 a month Mexico has agreed to take. So number th- Mr. 30001 will just get let in. But the point of that, that's kind of the stick. And they're offering the carrot of letting 30000 a month of the people from those countries into the United States under what's called parole, which is basically something he doesn't have the authority to do. Um, and so the point of and so what has happened is because of that news, the numbers actually have gone down because there's fewer. I mean, the Cubans, Nicaraguans, Venezuelans and Haitians are like, geez, you know, let me hold off. Don't want to get bounced back. Maybe they'll let me in, you know, quote, legally, unquote. So the numbers for January at the border will be lower. There's just no question about that. The problem is they're going to go back up because those are just four countries. What about the other 190 countries of the world? (laughs) And some of those countries, people from those illegals from those countries hopping the border have been going, the numbers have been going way up. People from Peru and Ecuador and Colombia, even India and Turkey have huge increases. Now the numbers started lower. Turkey, yeah. There's but we're Turks? talking thousands. Yeah, there's there's a number of Turks illegally coming. Uh, the number in December, the number of Turks and the number of people from India is triple what it was the previous December. So, again, it's starting from a lower level, but it's growing rapidly. And places like Ecuador and Colombia, those numbers are actually in the tens of thousands now uh, being apprehended. So, they're not – I mean, what are they going to do to them? Give everybody – Mark, Mark I, this- do you know how um, the, how the system works that you could get that many people from Ecuador or Turkey or India? I mean, are they advertising online? Well, I don't know, probably online or Facebook or what have you, but they don't – it's also, you know, word of mouth. But right. the point is they're clearly – the smugglers are clearly advertising the Biden administration's uh, policies. And so while initially, remember, it was people from what they call the Northern Triangle of Central yeah. America, those countries. Well, they're still coming, but that's kind of yesterday's news because the word has spread. So now you're getting people from every place, Uzbekistan and Mauritania and you name it, because <laughs> if you can if you can either pay for it or you can go into hock and basically work, you know, in a, as a dishwasher for 10 years to pay it off under Biden. You're getting in and getting let go. So the smugglers are able to fly these people out of their home countries or at least arrange for, you know, the air transportation and then land them in Mexico and then help them over the border here. Yeah. I mean, if you have if you have money, you can go straight to Mexico. Sometimes what they'll do is they'll go to Cuba and then they'll go to Ecuador, which has foreigners go to Ecuador because they have loose visa rules. And then you make your way on bus and by foot and what have you all the way up through, like, what is that, uh, nine other countries or something. That's quite a and network, then though. say, now I want political asylum, having passed nine countries where you could have been asked political <laughs> asylum. In. Well, this uh, talk about this parole ploy here. Now, who can, who can apply for this? You said there's an actual app that you use to get paroled? Yeah, there's, a parole, there's an app called CBP1. It's like, uh, you know, the Open Table app? Yeah. We're making reservations. Well, this is the open borders app, basically. <laughs> um, and um, the the thing is that parole, it's not criminal parole. This is immigration parole. It's a different thing. And what it, what it, Congress made, it's in the law. It's a legal thing, except 
Congress intended it for a handful of cases, emergency cases, medical emergency. You have to be let in to testify at a trial and then leave the next day, that kind of thing. This administration has taken that little tiny loophole and blown it open to basically swallow the whole immigration system. So the president is basically freelancing his own parallel immigration system that this year could let in close, not quite, maybe half, maybe more than half, actually, of the um, equivalent of the total legal immigration system. He's just making this up, freelancing it on his own. It's just, um, it's not sustainable. And it may be stopped in court. It's so ludicrously illegal that there's already two lawsuits against it. Florida filed one, and then Texas, along with 19 other states, filed one more recently. It's probably going to be, you know, put on hold. And then, then what? I mean, they're doing this to get these people out of the border arrest statistics that are reported right. every month. That's the whole point. It's not to reduce the flow. It's to make it go away from the news, hide it from the news. It looks, you know, I don't think they're going to succeed in being able to hide it from the news, both because this program is going to be, I think, put on ice by the courts because it's obviously illegal and Everybody else is going to want to get in on the action from Ecuador and Turkey and you name it. This so, is the um, most is not accomplished. This is the most aggressive administration on illegal immigration that we've seen. And and I, I, I never expected Biden would go this far. Of course, he may not know what's going on. But this this really is a shock, isn't it, that they went this far? Yeah, it really is. This is the most radical immigration administration ever. I mean, I, I'm, I'm yearning for the good old days of the Obama administration <laughs> on immigration. Um, and, you know, I don't know how much of this is Biden, like you said. I'm, I mean, I'm not one of these people where he's, you know, got Alzheimer's or something. But he's an old guy and he's kind of a figurehead president. But on immigration, they have basically handed the policy over to these advocacy groups. So these groups, they don't believe in the board. They think it's wrong. In other words, immigration law is like Jim Crow, or what would you call it? The Jaimito Cuervo, I guess, is what it would be in Spanish. They think it's wrong. And so if they're subverting immigration law, they actually kind of see themselves as heroic in doing that. Like they're, you know, what's her name? Rosa Parks. You know what I mean? And and you're right. The media coverage, I noticed after this was announced— wasn't so much questioning this new parole thing. It was covering activists who were angry about those four countries, Cuba, Nicaragua, Venezuela, and Haiti, uh, being subject to Title 42 expulsions. That was the only yeah, coverage exactly. I saw. Right. Yeah, G- giving just, cover it's to- not enough. It's not enough. Yeah, yeah. Giving cover to Biden to make it look like he's being too tough. Yep, yep. Wow. Mark, All right, Mark, thank so- you so much. As usual, you really uh, make it clear what's really going on with the border. Yeah. Unfortunately, but anyway, happy to come back anytime. Oh, sure. Right, Mark Corian, Executive Director of the Center for Immigration Studies. And again, sleight of hand, when you hear this term immigration parole, it's just the Biden administration's way of putting that category of illegal immigrants into another category, which would be, quote, legal, right? So they'll no longer be part of border arrests and apprehensions, but they're coming in just the same. And hopefully one of these lawsuits will stop it. John and Ken, your chance for money is next with a keyword. KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. All right. Uh, You know, you have to be, the world we live in today and the way the media covers it or whatever you look at online covers it, you have to just understand what you're looking at. 
because there really is a divide in the way things are covered now. You know, what websites and what media outlets to go to to probably see coverage that might appeal to you in terms of your belief system, your ideology. And there are other ones, you know, it's, oh, my God, they're going to exaggerate everything. So you, you have to approach this police beating in Memphis, Tennessee, the same way, just to be sure. This is, of course, the 29-year-old man by the name of Tyree Nichols that was driving uh, one night of January 7th in Memphis, and he got pulled over by uh, police officers. We're still not sure why there was supposedly reckless driving, but now they're saying they don't really see evidence of that. We're not sure why he was pulled over. But anyway, late Friday, they did finally release the footage that was taken from body cam and apparently also from like a street lamp or a street light had a camera too that was fixed on a lot of the scene I don't know how much of this you ended up watching, John. I watched a bit of it. Yeah, minutes. I saw the, the, the main uh, arts. He the- was tased, pepper sprayed, and of course, beaten. For what we don't know, one, one media site I'm looking at says they call it contempt of cop. They just didn't think he was obeying them and was respecting them. So they decided, well, now you're going to get it. Sounds dated, doesn't it? Sounds like something. And they did say there was a lot more of that back in the 80s and 90s, and it's kind of faded away, that kind of behavior by police officers who feel like uh, you got this coming because you're not listening. Uh, The video shows them kicking him at least twice in the face, striking him at least three or four times with the baton on the upper body, punching him at least four times to his face, punching him at least two more times to the upper body, kicking him at least twice in the abdomen. These are five police officers. The first video is from an officer's body camera, Lasts about 11 minutes. They pull him out of the car and he yells, I didn't do anything. Get on the bleeping ground. I'm going to, on the bleeping ground, I'm going to tase your ass, one of them says. I'm on the ground. In fact, the New York Times has a story where the headline is 71 commands in 13 minutes. Officers gave Tyree Nichols impossible orders. Supposedly, somebody sat down and analyzed these videos and the audio. And this is what they found, that there were 71 commands in 13 minutes. Um, The officers, the orders were given at two locations, one near where Nichols' car was and the other in the area he had fled to. Apparently, it seemed like he was trying to run home because he decided this isn't safe for me. Mm. So his parents' house wasn't far from there. And he did make a move to get out of there. But, you know, when you always hear about people, well, you know, it's what happens if you don't comply. Well, it seems like he was trying to comply. Couldn't please them. They just felt like doing a beatdown. That's how I read this. I, I don't know how else to, well, yeah, that's, to interpret that's, this. That's what some cops enjoy doing. That's it says why, here that's one why office, they got in the business. Some commanded him to show his hands, even though he was already, they were holding his hands. Mm. They told him to get on the ground, even though he was already on the ground. They ordered him to reposition himself, even when they had control of his body. These are the kinds of strange commands that they were giving that just made no sense to people reviewing the situation. Well, because what they wanted to do was beat them up. That, All five of what, them. What though. you said is in the story. It used to be prevalent. This is the way cops approached their job. They were, they were masters of their universe, and you had to bow and kiss their, kiss their feet. And if slightest deviation, then they're going uh, to beat your ass, maybe to death. Because that's what they wanted to do. That's what they got a charge out of. This was very much a frenzy. It, it, I, it had to be because yeah. for all five of them to do this, or most of them, apparently there was one cop well, that tries to render aid well, to Nichols what, when he's sitting there. What happens in riots, right? In riots when you have a group that is suddenly 
uh, smashing windows, right, or setting fires, you'll get more people jumping in to smash more windows and do their share of looting. You see this in bar fights, right? Two guys punching each other. Third guy comes in and throws a chair, and pretty soon there's there's 10 or 15 guys. I, I've seen it at sporting events where fights break out in the stands or sometimes actually on the field or on the rink, right? Yeah. It, it, this kind of behavior is contagious, and they feel like we're all part of a team. It's us against the world. Nobody gets to disrespect us. This respect thing is really powerful. It's powerful in gangs. It's it, it, it's it's powerful. Uh, we see it kind of in football, right? God forbid somebody on the other team says something disrespectful, uh, you know, to a reporter before the game, right? And then the whole team is using it as fodder to go out and bust heads. It does, you know, it, it does motivate. It, yeah, it's part of human nature. And I don't know what this guy did. They 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 committed a murder there. They all ought to go to prison for the rest of their lives. They should get the death penalty. They I mean, one cop is yelling, murder. I'm going to put Tom the bleep out of you. Give us your hands. Another one says, I'm going to break your bleep. I mean, but, but I just I just notice how muted the demonstrations were because there it, it wasn't white cops doing this. I mean, it, it it's it. Well, I thought this uh, would evolve into just a protest against policing. You're right. You got to take the race element see, out of it. But there's still activists who don't want the police, whether uh, they're black, white or Latino or Asian. They the, think that the police is too much. Yeah, they may have that ideological belief, but the real energy that creates violent protests and riots comes from the racial aspect. If you don't have the racial aspect, you're just not going to get the same reaction out of people. They, they, don't, they don't feel as passionate about police abuse as they do about white police abuse. And the other thing that happened is they were charged with murder even before the video was released. Now, in the George yeah. Floyd story, that didn't exactly work in that order. Right. Yeah, they really- so, and as you said, there were cops of several races involved in the George Floyd beating. But, but, uh, and, but the, and the knee on the chest, the back. Yeah, this is what you do to try to preempt some of the violence is you release the video immediately and you arrest them immediately and you throw the book at them. You give them the most serious charges possible. So right. that, that which is the way it always should have been handled. Now, there is also uh, questions about the uh, response of the paramedics to the scene. Apparently, it's 28 minutes that uh, Tyree Nichols is kind of lying there and not really mm. reacting that... Uh, before the, the paramedics actually try to give him any aid. How many times have we heard that, too? And they're wondering if they shouldn't be uh, looked into. Yeah. And possibly charged. They, uh, this, is, this is a subculture within the most police departments in big cities. They're, 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 it, I, I, it's never going to go away. It's probably not as big as it used to be, but it's, you're still going to get these stories occasionally, no matter how many, how many, pro, how many protests, riots, finger-wagging, scolding, d- diversity classes you send them to, you're still going to get this because it's embedded in human nature. Like, yeah, it says here, EMTs eventually leaned Nichols over and checked his pockets or moved his wallet. Then they talked about what they found. It was a while before it says... One expert says, you arrive, it doesn't matter what happened. If somebody needs medical aid, you get there, you take their BP, you give them oxygen, you do whatever you have to do. And it seemed like they didn't do that for a while. Yeah, it was a special unit, and I think they felt especially important. Well, that's what we're going to talk about when we come back. Uh, Apparently in Memphis, they had something called the Scorpion Unit, which was a special unit, which was supposed to uh, really... Uh, weed out the worst of the crime in that city. It has been disbanded. We'll talk about it. Johnny Ken, KFI AM 640 Live, everywhere the iHeartRadio app. Uh, well, we'll get him reconnected in a minute. So the Scorpion unit. Five members of the unit 
they're the ones who uh, did that murderous beating. And the video footage you saw of Tyree Nichols on Friday. And again, it was five black officers. And they also have a black female police chief. First African-American woman to lead the uh, Memphis Police Department. And her name's Sarahlyn Davis. And when she took over as the police chief uh, in 2021, she saw in a few months that the murder numbers were headed towards a record. And she saw near her home, she lived downtown in Memphis, that drivers were driving wildly through the streets, especially late at night. And so she's sitting there thinking, well, I'm the police chief. I got to do something. So she created this Scorpion team. It was an acronym for street crime operation to restore peace in our neighborhoods. And she told the cops to focus less on writing tickets and more on an all-out strategy of seizing cars from the most dangerous drivers. Violent offenders had to be targeted with a new urgency. And if the state couldn't take a case to court, her agency should ask federal prosecutors to take the case instead. So she went out with full-out war on these crazy drivers. And I guess all the other crime that was going on in the, in the region. Well, the, uh, the officers, 40 of them assigned to this new strike team, at least these five took it real seriously. And this, this uh, I don't have statistics, but I just get this sense over the years when, you, when I've read about a group of officers going nuts and committing this kind of crime. They're usually part of some kind of special unit. They've got special orders. And I think that inflates their, their ego to some extent. And it makes them feel like we're the good guys. We're going after disgusting scum, which is true. Often they are going after disgusting scum, but you know, there's limits uh, to what you're allowed to do. Um, now, uh, Chief Davis is looking at uh, her, this unit that she created and became a Frankenstein monster. And she had to admit that the attack was heinous and inhumane. Uh, there is uh, a guy named Van Turner, who is a mayoral candidate, president of the NAACP in Memphis. And he said, we still want crime addressed in our communities, but we don't need to kill innocent people to do it. And this is what happens. The crime was bad. A unit like Scorpion was needed, but human nature being what it is, some guys get filled up with this sense of power, this sense of being, you know, the kings, the rulers of the streets, and they have to be obeyed. They start acting like uh, like uh, gang leaders. Um, the city was bragging about the Scorpion team for months. They said this was an overnight success because murder rate was bad in Memphis. They had more than 300 murders in 2021. To compare it, New York City, which is 13 times larger, had fewer than 500. So New York's 13 times larger, but Memphis has about 60% of the murders that New York does. So you can see the murder rate was really high there. Something had to be done. I mean, often these units come out of a good idea, right? Um, just a few days after they, they 
announced the Scorpion unit. One TV report said that Memphis police credited with making 30 arrests, seizing 29 guns, 170 grams of marijuana. By January of 2022, the mayor, Jim Strickland, gave his State of the City speech and said this Scorpion unit had made 566 arrests in less than a year, 390 felonies, seized $103,000 in cash, 270 vehicles, 253 weapons. <coughs> so they did, were doing a terrific job, this Scorpion unit. It's what the city needed. It gave the streets back to Memphis residents and away from all these vile criminals running around. In fact, Chief Davis gave a presentation to the city council bragging about how the crime was getting curtailed. curtailed. Uh, there was a slide titled Crime Reduction. First bullet point was the Scorpion unit. This unit targets some of the hotspot areas where we saw frequent aggravated assaults and high crime. And the power just went to their heads. They became violent bullies, according to uh, one activist. And people in the streets got the message that if a Scorpion unit pulled you over for a traffic stop, you had to expect there was a possibility of violence. And the general public was afraid of this unit. But again, the unit did the job. Up to that point, when it committed a murder. Now, maybe they're, we're going to find out they unnecessarily roughed up a lot of other people. I don't know how many injuries and deaths came out of that. Um, this occasionally happens. Like in New York City, they had aggressive squads known as anti-crime units. Uh, often the cops there dressed in plain clothes. They were there to get guns off the street. And they had made uh, a huge share of gun arrests in the city. But the stop and frisking led to police shootings and led to all kinds of issues with activist groups. Um, also in Memphis, there was, there was drag racing, stunt driving. Four lanes of traffic on an interstate were blocked with drivers doing donuts on the highway. And... You know, it, it, it swings from lawlessness to you end up with a real, a true police state where people were terrified that if they got uh, pulled over for uh, speeding or running through a stop sign, they might get uh, beaten to death. So that's the uh, story of the Scorpion unit. started out as a good idea, and then uh, these uh, thug police officers got out of control and killed somebody. More coming up. John and Ken Show coming up after uh, 3 o'clock. We're going to have Blake Trolley from KFI News. Uh, with uh, whatever new details there are on that shooting. Uh, well, was, uh, three people got shot to death, were murdered in uh, the Benedict Canyon area. Four were wounded. Uh, there has been very little information over the last uh, 36 hours coming from police and the media. Everybody's tiptoeing around this one. Actually, I, this is one block from where I lived for 14 years. So... I know that neighborhood really well. And this is a, an impossible for me to imagine that this event would occur. Uh, and for some reason, the police are very reluctant to release details. And the media is very reluctant to cover it in any great depth. So I know there's a story here. And I'll talk about that. And Blake Trolley will be on to 
tell us what he knows. There is a little bit of new information out, but uh, compared to the uh, media frenzy over the Monterey Park shooting and even the Half Moon Bay uh, mushroom farm shooting, this one is somebody's, somebody's, uh, the media's muzzled on it, really. All right, we have some animal stories for you. Yes. I've been waiting all day, John. Okay, well, don't get too excited because you never know what's coming. Well, this could be stuff that's upsetting. Oh, I hope not. You don't want to upset me, do you? Oh, yeah. Oh. (laughs) Okay. In fact, we we usually have uh, a meeting. You do? And one of the topics is... How, how can, to upset Deborah? How, how can we upset Deborah today? Well, you guys do a good job at yeah. Like that. Well, I don't know. Uh, now you were uh, particularly excited that that dog uh, that was in the car with mm-hmm. the hunter mm-hmm. that the dog had reached <laughs> out from the back seat and shot the hunter to death. Well, I, I wasn't particularly happy, but I did say karma. You were you were giddy, and it was an accident. But yeah. but I, I I said you know the dog didn't want any of its uh, other furry friends to be injured, and so the dog had to do what I, it had to I, do. I, I thought you were laughing about that. No, 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 John, no. Rooting I, for I, the dog. No, I would never laugh at something like this. All right, well, um, fishermen, you get upset over fishing. All I, the dead. I, I can't stand when I see fishermen uh-huh. or fish fisher ladies, whatever. Uh, <laughs> When they when they have the fish Fisher on the hook. ladies? I don't know. I'm trying to be politically correct <laughs> here. Not here. Well, you don't get the emails that I get. <laughs> it's, I don't read emails. That's true. Uh, all right, get this one. A diver was decapitated by a great white shark in front of horrified fishermen off the coast of Mexico. Uh, Manuel Lopez was scuba, scuba diving for mollusks near San Jose Beach in Tabari Bay. When a 19-foot-long shark attacked him about three weeks ago, Lopez was in his 50s. Uh, he had his head torn off by the shark. Yeah. Wow. And uh, oh god, yeah. <laughs> I can't even imagine. <laughs> so this was a mollusk hunter. So did he get what he uh, what he deserved there? Well. I mean, that is kind of gruesome, but, yeah. you know, th- let's just leave the animals alone. That's what I'm going to say. I mean, he, okay, I'm sort of taking the fifth here. You sort, you're taking a neutral <laughs> stance? Well, he I, had his head ripped off. I, and that's terrible. It is. But is it? I think we need to just leave the animals alone, and then we won't have these types of issues, right? Yeah. The shark also started biting his shoulder, so he wasn't, I guess, after the head popped off. Oh, God, John. <laughs> Well, they have a fisherman here, Jose Bernal. Mm-hmm. He was a witness. And he said uh, he was diving when the animal attacked him, ripped off his head, and started biting both shoulders. And uh, it, the, the Lopez had been diving without an air tank to about 60 feet. He was collecting a mollusk called an axe tripe. It's like a scallop. Mm. Uh, he was scooping it up from the ocean floor when the shark came. And that was it. I'd You're never heard of a shark doing that. R- yeah, ripping a head off. I I, I haven't either. Usually, this was a very aggressive, angry shark, or very hungry. I don't know. Apparently, was uh, sick of the mollusks. Uh, mollusks being disturbed. Right. It's upsetting. The diver was in the shark's territory. Uh, they think it was a great white. Wow. Uh, they can be twenty feet long, weigh up to two tons, and they have three hundred razor sharp teeth. Oof. And they can swim at 35 miles an hour. And they have a very powerful sense of smell. That's why I don't like going in the water. Very infrequently will I go in the water. Yeah, I mean, well, man, you would be a meal. You're a one bite. I I know. 
It, my head wouldn't be ripped off. I would no. just be one quick swallow. No, that's right. <laughs> one bite. You'd be you'd be seeing what the inside of a shark looks <laughs> <I know>. like. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, uh, I, I'm afraid of sharks. I have to say. Now uh, we got another animal story out in the water. Mm-hmm. They have uh, a rash of dead whales washing up on the uh, coasts along the east. Uh, Nine whales, two sperm whales, seven humpbacks have been found dead off the coast of four east coast states in the last two months. Five beached in New Jersey. And there are some, now this has caused a split in the environmental camps because some of the environmentalists insist that it's the wind farms that they're building out in the ocean. They're, they're, they're building windmills anchored in the ocean floor. Uh, Cindy Zipf is with Clean Ocean Action, said the wave of dead whales in the ocean sounds the alarm. We must heed the warning. These are tragic multiple deaths of mostly young, endangered whales. But the only new activity is over 11 companies in the ocean building these wind farms. Mm-hmm harming tens of thousands of marine mammals. Now, the other environmental groups are saying, no, 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 no. We need the wind farms to fight global warming. So what are they, so what are they saying? And, and, I mean, so what, what do they think is the problem then? Or do uh, they think that could be a problem, but we don't want to get rid of the wind farms? Well, they're trying to blame it on everything else, all the other uh, climate change, plastic pollution, mm-hmm. bad fish management practices, which I guess uh, kills so many fish, the whales have uh, nothing left to eat. I have read that um, they, they think something is disrupting the uh, the hearing and the radar mechanism that the whales use mm-hmm. to travel and communicate, and it's got something to do with the construction of the wind farms. Hmm. But uh, they, they have not. Nobody's made an official connection. The pro uh, whale group is just saying, "Hey, the only new thing going on." is wind farm construction. So that has to be the reason you've got all these dead whales. And the other side is saying, well, you don't have any proof of this. Uh, There's one government official who said, I'm skeptical that either side is correct. Uh, Environmental groups are saying the wind is definitely the cause. It's going to take a lot of time to figure this out. Well, it's sad. No matter what the, uh, I mean, seriously, no matter what the reason, it's it's very sad that we have all these dead whales. Yes, it is sad. Sadder than the guy who had his head ripped yes. off by the shark. Yes. Okay, so in your hierarchy, mm-hmm. it is sadder to have nine dead whales than well, one human. Well, because this guy that, was going hunting uh, and it was an accident. Right. And so the dog did. didn't do it on purpose, mm-hmm. I don't think. But again, yeah. yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Just going right. to use that famous so, word, karma. Right. Okay. So you're, you're, you you support the dog that shot the hunter, and you support the shark. It is a terrible that... accident. I I I don't. I, I'm not. I'm not saying it's a good thing that this man died. Uh-huh. I would never say that. But I mean, look, you have a dog. You would just you have a rifle, <laughs> and you didn't have the two of them in separate places, right. and this is what All happened. Right. I understand. All right. Uh, coming up, Blake Trolley's going to come on. It is, it is not often that you have a mass murder and a shootout in your old neighborhood, but that's, uh, that's what's happened here. Uh, my old neighborhood, where I spent 14 years, just a block up from my house, uh, massive shooting, early Saturday morning, about 3 in the morning, three dead, three women dead in a car, and four wounded, two of them critically, 
outside the car. Uh, and, uh, and none of the local neighbors were involved because I lived there a long time. I never met anybody who looked like they were capable of engaging in a shootout. Uh, so, uh, we're, you're going to hear about what, uh, what short-term rentals, Airbnb style rentals can do to neighborhoods and people are angry in the neighborhood over this. John and Ken show. Deborah Mark has the news. KFI AM 640. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Tura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts carol g juan gabriel christina aguilera what do these three have in common you mean apart from impeccable style, chart-topping canciones, and drama? Facts, yes, all of the above are correct. But most importantly, they're some of the biggest Latin icons in the world. And they're just a few of the game-changing Latin stars we're covering in Becoming an Icon Season 2. Listen to Becoming an Icon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's Reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 